Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is the Yanks Go Yard Podcast with Adam Weinrib and Thomas Carinante. Welcome on into the Yanks Go Yard Podcast. I'm Adam Weiner alongside Thomas Carinante here with the only podcast that gets you Bronx bombed on a weekday afternoon victory Monday here in New York. If you're a Giants fan, not if you're a Jets fan, your season is boring to everyone else now. Uh, not quite a victory Monday for the Yankees, though a series victory Monday. Another one in the books on the road against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Spare me that it's just the Pittsburgh Pirates conversation. None of these games really matter. The Yankees are making the postseason. They're definitely not going to miss the postseason because a ground ball to third hit third base and bounced down the line yesterday against Carlos Rodon. Or at least I'm not going to think about that because if I do, I'm going to throw up. But the Yankees did take a series from the Pirates. They went to Fenway and took a four-game series from the Red Sox featuring two doubleheaders to end basically, essentially, that team season. And if you didn't think they ended the Red Sox season when they left that series, they proved it when the Red Sox went to Toronto and just and and then got walked off and could not help the Yankees gain on the Jays in the playoff race at all. Uh, the Red Sox also fired high and bloom. That was fun. We have to talk about that Red Sox series because we missed it largely. So it's it's not like we're not going to talk that that was the best series of the year. So it's not like we're not going to talk about that. That we're, we're just trying to have fun down the stretch. Uh, and the Yankees are going to try to have fun this week when they take on the Toronto Blue Jays three times in the Bronx, three of their final six matchups with the Blue Jays still to come this year. Three at home, three abroad, bring your passports. And there's still a good deal left to play for, even if most of that good deal is ruining someone else's life. Plus, is Jonathan Loisaga on the hot seat? Seems like he is. And any other Yankees we could believe in moving forward, that list, to me, starts and ends. No, it doesn't end, but it starts with Carlos Rodon, who, say what you will, proved over the last two starts at Fenway Park and on the road in Pittsburgh that he might still have the juice and have what it takes to raise himself above the level of being the Yankees' worst free agent acquisition ever, which is what a lot of you people were saying in year one of a six-year deal. You can join us live today, Monday, and every Thursday moving forward as well, 2 o'clock Eastern on YouTube. We're also on all podcast platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, the big three, as well as the other ones. Whatever you use to get your podcast, we're on there. If you want to drop us a five-star review, we wouldn't mind. If you want to like and subscribe to the YouTube channel, that would also be sick. Thomas Carinante, welcome to the show. You've got an offer for anybody who is joining us, whether it's on video or on audio. We got an offer for you. Yeah, what's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in. Um, we have an offer from DraftKings for you. Have you signed up yet? If not, and if you plan to be a new user, you can receive $150 in bonus bets instantly after following just three simple steps. Create your account, deposit some money, then wager $5 or more on any sport. Whether your first wager wins or loses, you will receive $150 in bonus bets immediately in your account. Pretty cool. We got football season here. It's a blast. Got the end of the baseball season, postseason coming up, plenty of things to bet on, plenty of fun to have. Um, and all you have to do is use the code YanksGoYard at sign up. Again, YanksGoYard, it's us. Um, it helps support the podcast. It helps us going. It helps us maybe give you some gambling tips. We're down for that too. Um, keep the conversation going. Let's have some fun. Uh, this offer is available for new customers only who are 21 and older and physically present in legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly. Check the episode description for full terms of the offer. Uh, interesting how this Pirates series went, um, but I'd rather start talking about the Red Sox series because we missed that. Sorry, guys. Uh, Adam was hanging out with the folks um, at NASCAR in Tennessee having a yeah. good old time. I was absolutely not where you thought I was. I was in Bristol, Tennessee, Thursday night, the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. Hell yeah. Watching from the pit, had a great time, somehow made it back alive. Honestly, didn't think I would. I was like, how does anybody drive from Bristol to Knoxville at uh, midnight? Uh, didn't seem like something where I was going to get safely home, but I did. Now I'm here to talk about the Yankees. 
Yeah, Pirate series. I mean, they are a botched double play ball away from losing this series. Yeah. They're also a ball hitting third base away from sending yesterday's game into the late innings tied with a chance to sweep. So weird series, good performances by the prospects, bounce back series for Oswaldo Cabrera in what's actually been a bounce back month for him, although many of us, me included, have not really noticed. But yeah, let's I mean, I the theme of the show is let's play spoiler with the Blue Jays on the docket and the Diamondbacks on the docket. But let's talk Red yeah. Sox series because we spoiled an era at Fenway Park last week in a series that we said this is not going to go well. Don't watch, don't watch this. And there was very little reason to believe it was going to go well. The Yankees were one and eight against the Red Sox this year. They were throwing out Carlos Rodon in one of these games who had just gotten bludgeoned by the Tigers. They didn't have Luis Severino, which kind of felt like a hey, all right, maybe we'll maybe we'll win one. We have to throw Sevy in this series, but it ended up being instead of a four game set traditionally, two double headers pack the pain into two different days rather than spread it out over four and three out of four games. Yankees put a world of hurt on the Red Sox instead of the other way around, and now end the year four and nine against Boston, which you know it's not great, but it's like. You look at it and you go, normal. That's normal. Yeah, I uh, couldn't have really hoped for anything more than getting three out of four in Fenway. We were sitting here saying, just get a split, or even like the worst of us was saying, please just win one. You can't get, you can't sweep four, get swept four games here, um, especially without the season is when, and how kind of divergent the Yankees and Red Sox have been. For a little while, it looked like the Red Sox were kind of going to lap the Yankees, and then the Yankees kind of caught them, um, started playing a little bit better baseball, at least more consistent, or at least a lot less disappointing baseball than the Red Sox are playing right now. Um, and then to top it all off, the Red Sox fire Heim Bloom during that series. The second time they have fired an executive during a Yankee series since 2019. Yeah, they've yeah. done it twice, and Crazy. they've done it twice against us. And not only that, like Dombrowski's dismissal, like, well, I, I would love to talk about the Red Sox dysfunction, but we have plenty of our own shit to talk about. But Dombrowski doesn't even get a year after winning the 2018 World Series. He gets fired during a Yankee series in September of that year. Very, very bizarre. I don't know why the Red Sox would opt to do that. Um, you want to talk about having your finger on the pulse of the fan base. I don't know. And we talk about how the Yankees drop the ball on that every opportunity they get. The Red Sox doing this again during a series against their chief rival in a battle battle for last place when the Yankees are pretty much as down. I know they, they what have they won? Uh, they've won like 15 of their last 20 or something, something they like were that. Coming, they were coming off, though, into that Red Sox series. Uh, losing two out of three to Milwaukee, winning that crazy marathon game to end the series where they almost got no hit, and losing Jason Vegas to a nine-month surgery on Sunday afternoon. The mood could not have possibly been yeah. dumpier heading into Monday. I guess they get the gift of the rain out on Monday night, which was nice. I certainly didn't want to watch Yankees baseball at that point. But still, doubleheader on the docket. Uh, you've got uh, a mission. You got Randy Vasquez starting the first game, yeah. rode on in the second. You know, the bullpen's going to get heavily taxed in that opener, or they'll just blow Randy Vasquez out and then they won't. And then maybe you try to win an eight, six game in the nightcap, but none of it feels good. And somehow, yeah. some way, they spit a positive in, in their favor. Uh, the, the first game of that Red Sox series ends in just. The type, it makes your brain leak through your ears to think Clay Holmes could walk the bases loaded with one out in a here we go again game. Like, is this really going to happen nine out of 10 times this year? That seems like too high a ratio for that to happen. And then Alex Verdugo, first pitch bailout, double play, miraculous finish. And you're still heading into the night game going, well, we're not going to win this one, too. Come on. It's yeah, Rodon's pitching. You knew you had an idea the way at least he was starting to become okay i was the tiger start to his last one yeah i think yeah the, the tiger start into fenway yeah. he was coming off that seven earn run performance against the tigers and you know it's like great now he's gonna get bludgeoned in fenway he ends up kind of being awesome i know he labored through it was like four and two thirds or five innings it wasn't it wasn't a whole lot but they win the game four one to me rodon looks sharp we'll talk about his sunday outing and in, in a few as well but 
Um, you get that four one victory. They looked then Wednesday gets rain out. They looked, you know, it was funny. I was in, I was in a fantasy championship and I was thinking about picking up Tanner Howe facing the Yankees. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to put that energy into the universe. And then of course he fucking buzzsaws them. Yeah. Yankees lose that one five, nothing. And then you have the uh, finale where the bats came alive. They score eight runs. Um, Tommy Canely comes in for that two winning, uh, that two winning save, which was friggin' awesome. Um, and yeah, you really took it to the Red Sox, a team that like at the time of the, at the beginning of that series had an outside, outside chance at the postseason, So they were fighting for something again, which is why the dismissal of Bloom, whether you agree with it or not, was very bizarre. And Red Sox fans are like arguing themselves into a pretzel because like they're, it's either you have people who are fully on Bloom's side because of the way management treated him or people who think he's like a complete bum. And it's just like, if you guys were to just have a conversation with one another, you would understand it's both. Not only did ownership put him in a terrible position with all of the moves that they kind of forced him to orchestrate the second he came in um, after Dombrowski did what he did, which somehow Sox fans will still complain about that, even though he got them a world series and one of the most seamless 100 plus wins win campaigns you'll ever witness in your fucking life. Um, Bloom did not make the most of his moves. He extended Matt Barnes, terrible decision. He paid Trevor story, terrible decision. He didn't get a good enough return in the Mookie Betts deal. That's on him, whether the organization forced him to trade him or not. Let Xander Bogarts walk in what was pretty much an excruciating free agency cycle that year. Uh, and lowballed him with an offer uh, that previous offseason where he probably would have accepted if they gave him something that had a resemblance of respect. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm hearing way too much about how, like, the Xander Bogart's contract is a disaster. Yeah, the contract is crazy. Sure, right? Yeah. It, it goes a million years into the future. But every time somebody says, like, oh, the Bogart's contract is the worst at baseball, it makes you think Bogart's is struggling. He's been worth 3.8 war this year, 18 bombs, 276, 115 yeah. OPS plus. Like, still a really good ball player, improvement on everything they had. Trevor Story looks like a baseball player more than he is a baseball player. Yep. And I'm glad that he went and, uh, you know, hit a dinger in the first game of that second doubleheader and cool. Good for him. But he looks like a non-entity right now and he's in Boston long term. So you'd you'd rather have Xander Bogarts for seven more years, not 13, than have Trevor Story for the amount of time that you have him. But please continue. Yeah, no, I mean, look, he, he, whether he extended Garrett Whitlock when I feel like he just didn't need to. No weird thing uh didn't trade james paxson at this year's deadline which That's the, his have... deadline this year is the most egregious thing that he has done Truly. during his career with the red sox they ownership made him trade mookie bets fact his return for mookie bets was embarrassing fact he took bruce dark Gratterall out of it because he was nervous about his elbow and being hesitant is the thing that has marked time bloom's entire tenure with the red sox which is now over we could speak finality period it's done uh but not selling at this year's deadline it's it's the worst thing Brian Cashman did, and who knows what like not and who knows why Brian Cashman didn't do that. But Brian Cashman's assets were Harrison Bader, who's on the IL again in Cincinnati and was worth very little. IKF Luis Severino and his twenty million dollar contract, and Wandy Peralta, who could have netted you someone's 
19th and 24th best prospects or whatever. If you want to yell about Cashman not change, not picking a lane, and we do, and we will, and we'll keep doing that, scream three times as loud about Bloom, not trading James Paxton, who just had a resurgent first half coming off multiple injury marred years in a light pitching yep. market, then held him because he didn't know what to do and which lane to pick. And as soon as the second half hit, Paxton has put up like a six and a half ERA and he looks like he's throwing batting practice out there. So this year's deadline got him fired, in my humble opinion. And I, I guess get- I guess I'm glad it did because it kind of seemed, look, hesitance, whatever. It kind of felt to me like he was learning on the job. He did build the farm system. He drafted well. He did find hidden mm-hmm. gems at the margins. He brought in Turner. He brought in Kyle Schwarber in 2021. I don't think he's a genius level executive. I think he's a, a, a and he he definitely showed proclivity to be kind of nervous under pressure. But I definitely didn't take away from the last couple of years that High and Bloom was an outright disaster. I thought he was a good executive in waiting, and I'm glad yeah. that they took the plunge and decided, all right, that's it. We're not doing that anymore. Yeah, I don't. I I just don't know. It was it, it, in all, it was just something that helped them tread water for a few years. Um, in an effort where they were kind of trying to outsmart the rest of the baseball world. I feel Um, like they got Dombrowski who was, who's kind of a badass. He's a pretty badass executive in my opinion, gets them a world series. And then they're like, you know what? We're going to like fake new age money ball this and see what we can do. And they completely beefed it. Like even looking at blooms, like minor transactions and misses like trades Hunter Renfro after a 30 home run season. Why? Let's Kyle Schwarber walk when you can just pay him. Uh, like I and, and like his contract with the Phillies wasn't that insane, and he was thriving in Boston, and it was kind of it was kind of a good fit. Um, there were rumors that uh, that there was um, oh well, letting Yavaldi walk. I mean, I, I don't know if that's ownership's decision. Let Martin Perez walk. Let Eduardo Rodriguez walk. I don't sign know. Sign Corey Kluber. Yeah, sign like, Corey Kluber. It's like these mini trade-offs, and you acquire Adam Adovito, who was bad. Um, but then this um, – uh, who was reporting it? What's the fucking radio station up there? God, why am I blanking? WEI, baby. Yeah, WEI was reporting that – or at least there was a rumor that at one point, Bloom had the opportunity to trade all of Chris Sale's money for prospects – and opted not to do it, whether the prospects were good or not. But I think if you have the chance to do that and you need to rebuild in any capacity, clearing all of that money and getting anything in return kind of felt like a giant victory. Um, That was supposedly another reason that Boston's talking about right now that did him in. So like weird, weird tenure, some good, mostly bad. Um, Like, like you said, I think he rebuilt, um, the, uh, the farm system fairly well for them. Uh, he also lucked into some things like Marcelo Meyer falling into their laps after a 2020 season where he might be, he, he might be bad tired. though. He, he might, yeah, be he bad. might be, but I mean, the prospect evaluator evaluators don't seem to think so yet. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll see what happens at late at the conclusion of this year, I guess when, Oh no, wait, everyone already did the prospect reorgs, right? He kind of got bumped down. They did their midseason. They'll do an end of. Se- I, I hope they'll do an end of season. Yeah. I mean, he, he he hit 180 at Double A and needed shoulder rehabilitation. So mm-hmm. hopefully, people start to realize like, oh, well, that's not it. Structural integrity of a prospect shoulder. Uh, obviously, he did still get extremely lucky. He did. He should have been the first overall pick that year, and he fell into Boston's lap at four after Boston tanked the 60 game 2020 season and then rehired their famously suspended for cheating manager. After all of that, it's a despicable organization. Don't get me wrong, not defending him. Um, But I do think, I don't think Bloom was like an outright, I listened to Bill Simmons podcast this weekend. I don't know why, but he did a segment being like, Bloom's got to be like maybe the worst GM in Boston sports history, or at least in the top eight conversation. That's what he, that's a classic Simmons thing. Like saying like, oh, definitively the worst. And then being like, no, at least in the top eight, in the top eight. How many bad Boston sports GMs have you had? You win a title every 1.25 seasons. But whether he's the worst, he's not, or he's in the top eight, maybe. Still, I I think, like, what was he asked to do? He was tasked to rebuild the farm system. He was tasked to make moves at the margins. He did not make effective moves at the margins, though he did go on a miracle ALCS run. Every time you watch the Red Sox, or at least in this series, I definitely came away being like, some of these guys are in the wrong spot. Like, 
he got a lot of credit for getting Willier, Abreu, and Emmanuel Valdez for Christian Vasquez last year and killing the team's chemistry. I watched both of those guys and was like, is Abreu a center fielder? Like, he's running into the wall a lot. He looks really uncomfortable out there, and he didn't hit much in this series. What is Emmanuel Valdez? Like, massive power, big swing and miss, 220 guy with 16 homers a year? Like, is that a good ball player? It, it kind of felt a little like when we would go through the Yankees and be like, they're starting, like every fan just automatically enters spring training being like, how could you beat my team? We've got this guy here and going around the diamond and an objective outsider would be like, that sounds like the 19th best team in baseball. Like that's not, it's not very good. That's how I felt watching the Red Sox in this series. Yeah. Very weird. And like, you know, the Yoshida signing looks good. I guess Jaron Duran was coming around until he got injured. Um, Casas is definitely better than Bobby Dalbeck, so they had a, at least succession plan there. But again, didn't trade Adam Duvall, a guy who was like one of the most obvious trade assets ever. Had Justin um, Turner in a trade to Miami for Edward Cabrera, who's been in a Red Sox trade rumor for the last two years so and decided weird. not to pull the trigger just so that Turner could probably opt out after this season. Yeah, exactly. Like this was a bad season for High and Bloom. Uh, again, except for lucking into Kyle Teal in the first round of the draft. Everybody passed on him. He's already at double-A hitting 370. But other than that, yeah, pretty bleak year for him. Very bleak and um, no, with no help of the organization. So, like, that's just upsetting um, for baseball in general. Uh, we were kind of just talking, or at least Twitter was talking. I mean, I was thinking it, but it was just, like, depressing how we were watching this series in September. It's supposed to be a high-stakes series whether they're both in the division or playoff race or whether one is in the division or playoff race and the other is playing spoiler instead the division has completely been flipped on its head with the Orioles at number one and they've overtaken the top spot for you know kind of disgraceful organizations with the way that they tanked for years and got to the point that they are and they're still not paying anybody then you have the Rays in second who have been orchestrating that philosophy forever um, you have the Jays in third who are trying to be like the Yankees and Red Sox, but can't quite do it. Um, and then you have the Yankees who have beefed everything and the Red Sox who are trying to outdo them. Those two teams are trying to battle it out for last place in late September when that should never, ever be the case. I understand you'll have outlier years where things don't go your way, but it seems like a lot of this was self-inflicted by both of these organizations. And it was sad to see just how, I guess boring it was on the field or meaningless. Like I watched all of the games. I didn't feel overly invested. I had no problem walking out for a couple innings to do so. Usually I'm like nervous to do that. Um, I'm happy we won three of four. I'm happy we kicked them down the ladder a little bit, but like still sad, still should not have been the way 2023 panned out. Um, I was hoping it, I, I would have even been fine if the Red Sox were at the top of the division and we were attempting to play spoiler. I would have at least had fun with that. Um, no, I would have had absolutely no fun with that. I'm, I would have I'm had on fun with that. That would have given me a reason to be invested in. It would have given me a reason to be mad at the Yankees for losing or super exuberant with them winning. And now I'm just like, nice, you took three out of four. That's actually pretty cool, but it also means nothing. Um, but yeah, this is now, I guess, the reason, part of the reason Bloom got fired, they're going to finish last in the division what three out of the last five years and potentially finish under 500 for three out of the last five years is that correct yeah mm-hmm. where do they finish in 2019 i guess the Red orioles Sox, were in last right. yeah i guess they the finished orioles in were. fourth that year i think let me see i got reference right here i mean they were quite bad that year they, they finished 2019 third. They were third 19 games out of first uh 2020 they were fifth 2021 was their fluke alcs run last year fifth by 21 games behind the yankees this year fifth 19 and a half games back of the Orioles and they're uh, currently under 500. So which makes the Otani rumor just, I don't know. Fuck that. Fuck that. Crazy. Yeah, we'll, we'll dignify it when we have to, but I, I, the, the quickest way to send my anger button from a zero to 10 is, is not just reading Peter Gammon saying that people think Shohei Otani is interested in Boston, but that Shohei Otani is interested in Boston because of new balance CEO, Jim Davis. Like if that guy dictates my baseball life for the next 10 years, I will certainly veto this. I'm out on the sport. I, I won't be watching a sport. I will not be watching a sport where the most transcendent hitter in baseball goes from LA to freezing cold Boston because he loves the new balance CEO who is not involved with the Red Sox. 
who just happens to have a Boston company. I absolutely refuse to pay attention to the sport, if that is true. And we went through the whole discourse ringer with the Otani stuff over the weekend, where Gammon says he might be interested in Boston. And Boston fans go, a DH who might not pitch until 2025? I don't think that's in the best interest of the organization. Motherfucker, you're in last place. Not in the yeah. be- oh, we need DA traps for Masataki Oshida and Justin Turner next year. Sorry, Otani, not a fit. This fan base literally is like knives to me. Like I, I can't, I cannot stand them. It is crazy because then it's just like, okay, cool. You have an overload of DHs. We'll get rid of the bad ones. And that sounds like a you problem. Like you know, Devers is going to have the DH down the line. Great, don't sign him and sign Otani then. Like. Check yes. in with check in with New Balance CEO Jim Davis before you give Devers a ten year deal. This isn't that hard. And even if that was a problem, it's like the big market teams, the fans just need to realize it's if something falls into your lap as momentous as Shohei Otani, you just sign the redundancy and you live with it because it's going to give you like four or five years of greatness that will be unparalleled as opposed to you worrying about the three to five years that might not be the most favorable at the end of the contract. So it's like, I don't know what people are looking for here. I feel like any link to Otani at this point should be a blessing and Red Sox fans are treating it like it's, it's a burden. Well, and the stuff that was like the Red Sox don't need offense. They need pitching. This guy pitches. He's, he's going to pitch in 2024. He's going to pitch in 2025. Red Sox fans, you might have to adjust your window one more year. I don't think you like, You're you're currently in last you place. You built for next year. You're currently in last place. You're struggling through a season that you hated, and you're like, no, but we need pitching immediately next year. We can't possibly get Shohei Otani, who could hit 45 home runs next year and then pitch 130 innings of ace like ball in 2025. That would be counterintuitive to the plan. Well, the plan's over because the guy's fired. So time to get <laughs> a new plan. Time to get a new plan, guys. And enough with the bullshit. All right. Um, Done with Fenway. I was encouraged by the wins there. It wasn't the greatest of baseball, but shout out to uh, Zach McAllister, Matt Bowman, and Anthony Masanich, yes. and Nick Ramirez, though, for the second game of that doubleheader that I will never forget as long as I live. Like that does not matter in the grand scheme of things, but that first game was so white knuckle and Clay Holmes going down to the down to the finish. And you were right; you weren't worried about the outcome of any of the games. You know, the Yankees didn't hit in the third one, and they pretty much sailed to the finish line in the second and fourth. Even though they blew the lead in the fourth one, they immediately punched back, grabbed it, insurance, pumped up Peraza in the ninth inning. Very exciting end to that game. But four of the most anonymous Yankees relievers of all time, the bottom of the Sporkle column, held the Red Sox in a one-run game with the lead runner on second to start the seventh and eighth. They held the they held the fourth, they held the lead until the Yankees could get some insurance in the ninth. And then Nick Ramirez sort of effortlessly goes one, two, three. That was a game unlike any I've seen in the last like five years. So long-term, not relevant, but short-term shout out to all of those people. Yeah, very nice. And it was, you know, look like any, any leg up that those guys could get at any point, especially against the Red Sox has to feel good um, since everybody's season has not exactly gone um, as planned. So um, that was nice momentum heading into the Pirates series, but they kind of played bad baseball during this one. For the yes, most they part. did. Yes, um, they did. Very, very uninspiring baseball. They came away with two wins. Um, I don't know what confidence. What are What are we talking here? Uh, confidence for? Oh no. Well, forget that. Blue Jays are coming up, so they got to clean up this mess after playing not so great baseball. But some people kind of. I think gained a little momentum out of this series. Oswaldo Cabrera comes to mind for me. Um, I know there was that New York Post article about him changing his swing during like a very crucial at bat, but like he had it, he overall had it, had a good series offensively. Um, and then you talk Florial, guys kind of kicking ass. It's nice to see. Um, so the it, to me, like they gotta, if they can continue these. Good vibes heading into this Blue Jay series starting tomorrow. It would make this would be this would be the icing on the cake for 2023 in terms of exiting with good vibes. Playing spoiler against the Blue Jays, who have constantly been an agitator, but not really, or haven't been a worthy agitator. Um, 
and it would be great to kick them out of the playoffs. Who's even behind them right now? Is it, is it them and the Rangers or them and the Mariners? The Mariners have fallen off that far. Everything got weird over the weekend because yeah. the Rangers, while the A's were at Fenway, the Rangers went to Toronto, and I thought the two were going to play a hotly contested series, and instead the Rangers four games swept the Blue Jays on their turf basically knocking them out of the playoff picture again. Then the Dodgers went to Seattle over the weekend. Seattle got swept. The Rangers Mm. got swept by the Guardians. And the Red Sox went to Toronto and were Yankees-level incompetent in extra innings in late and close. Like, got to the 13th inning in the second game of that series. Uh, Ended up tying the game in the ninth with two outs and two strikes and no one on on a Devers home run yesterday. And then Garrett Whitlock got walked off anyway. So the Blue Jays swept and the other two teams in the mix got swept. Now Toronto is in a playoff spot, tied essentially with the Rangers, one game up on Seattle. So if we take two of three, Seattle and the Rangers are about to play one another. That both helps and hurts them. Obviously, one's going to win every single day and one's going to lose. That gets tough. But Seattle has to go on a a bit of a run, and the Yankees have to deflate Toronto a little bit for the Mariners to sneak into the playoffs. I would obviously much rather see the far more exciting Mariners in the postseason than the Fraud Jays. Yeah, Uh, and so it's part of it's on us now. We have we have to help. It's on our shoulders a little bit. And there's a legitimate chance here. You got Clark Schmidt tomorrow, Michael King the day after, Garrett Cole for the finale. Um, And uh, I'm not scared of any of these Blue Jay pitchers uh kikuchi has not been great uh gossman is really good but has has had a number of blow-up starts this year um jose barrios has been good but he seems like somebody that you can easily that you can easily take advantage of in any game so um this one's a home series and it's the last home series against the division rival um so it would be really cool to send a message there um this is our house. Vladdy will learn. This, is a, this time it's our house. Last year, we were on their turf trying to clinch, and they had a chance to be really annoying, and they did it for like a day and then couldn't. Um, the Blue Jays have nothing to clinch here, but after the Aaron Judge cheating allegations, the gibberish way this season started. Gibberish. Oh I, I mean, I, I, don't under, I still don't understand it months oh. later, acting like it's an affront to polite society to be taking eyeball, side-eye looks at the dugout. Like the post-game guy saying it's time for Judge to get drilled in the brain. And the fact that <laughs> Domingo Herman was a big part of that controversy, got ejected for sticky stuff. Uh, for the second time this season was hardly the stickiest situation he faced this year, not even a part of the Yankees present or future at this juncture. Um, Let's just settle it down. We do have the pitchers on the mound who you want. And honestly, there's nobody in the Yankees current rotation who I don't want to see in a game. There are players who breed more confidence than others, but Michael Mm -hmm. King, since joining the rotation, King has gone like 21 21 and two thirds innings or so across like four or five starts, 29 Ks. I think three earned runs allowed, something like that. He's gotten back on the right track. Schmidt is scuffling a little bit as he hits his innings limit. I kind of can't believe he's still pitching. Um, that doesn't compute with the way the Yankees typically handle this. You could honestly just put a pin in Clark Schmidt, say good, good year. You know, we'll take your 146 innings, but clearly they're hoping that either they're able to build on that here or someone else is next year. So they're still putting the foot on the gas pedal. He has nothing left to prove, in my opinion. And Garrett Cole try and contend for Cy Young, and he'll keep doing that against the Toronto Blue Jays team that really wants to get after him. That's pretty fun. That's how you do a mid-September spoiler series. I don't think we can move on, though, without talking about the high and blue move that almost was and wasn't quite the... Clark Schmidt for Alex Verdugo trade that we learned about yeah. last week uh, in the rumor mill that would have, uh, I, I guess I'm okay selling high on Clark Schmidt or selling high on Michael King. If that's something the team wants to do, I could not physically stomach Alex Verdugo in pinstripes. He would have been a good fit theoretically if he knew how to hustle and if he knew how to hit with power consistently, but that would have, uh, I, I would have uh, eaten uh, frozen bleach. I think if that had happened. <laughs> I would have uh, boiled bleach and then dumped it on my head. Yeah. Um, I, bleach. I, I just don't it, it crazy to me. I don't know where, I mean, I know where this came from. It came from beyond the monster or uh, whatever. Um, I don't know. I don't know the validity of it. Um, I feel like the Red Sox maybe just discuss this with themselves and then 
that was it. Uh, because for as much as Brian Cashman is not good at this, um, he knows more than anybody that, and for all the faith that he's put in Clark Schmidt, never in a million years would Brian Cashman trade a controllable starting pitcher for an outfielder with potential character concerns. Who everyone knows is on the trade block. The Red Sox keep like benching him, yanking him from games, being like, we need more from Alex Verdugo. And then Cashman's like, this is the best use of Clark Schmidt for sure. Like my number two starter. Yeah, Yeah, that's it. For, yeah, for as frustrating Cashman has been in so many other capacities, like, I don't, I can't believe this and I don't believe this. It feels like this was just discussed among Red Sox people and never really left the room. And then somebody talked about it at some point, it leaked and then that was that. But like, if Bloom had the balls to call Brian Cashman and pitch that trade, Cashman probably just called John Henry. He's like, you got to fire this guy right now. <laughs> Today's like, the day. Yeah, today's the fucking day. It should be at the trade deadline. I'll help you for the time being, but we can't have this. We can't have these phone calls on deadline day. It's undermining the entire process and it's insulting. Um, but yeah, I don't, it, it, that would have been a- absolutely insane. And it would have been even funnier because Verdugo, obviously the Yankees need a left fielder, right? Verdugo has a ton of experience playing left field, but this year he was moved to a full-time right field position. So how Yankees would it have been to be like, you know what? You just got comfortable in your, in your uh, corner outfield spot. after kind of bouncing around for three years, let's bounce you around again and let's give up a really good asset for you. So we'll see how that goes, but I don't, I don't, I don't really believe this at all. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm as low on the Yankees as possible. I'm not stooping this low. I'm not going to buy into a rumor that I feel like is bene- is even beneath our pessimism. I, I think I, 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 you can't buy into it, but it's uh, it, that would be a real that would be a real game breaker. If you were asking the Yankees desperately to do something, do anything at the deadline, just do make sure something materializes. Then they go ahead and do anything. trade pitching dead for Alex Verdugo. I think you'd have the right to be even if he wasn't a Red Sox, you'd have the right to be like, yes. Nope. But the fact that he's an insufferable Red Sox, it would have been one of the most aggravating trades in history. And again, shout out to uh, that double play ball that kind of changed my entire right. season and outlook on 2023. And and also ignited a really fun debate where Red Sox fans were like, sorry, he's, he's struggling with this control. You have to take the first pitch there. You have to. And then they showed the pitch and it was like center cut, middle, middle, 97. Like if Alex Verdugo can't hit that, for a game-ending walk-off single in the yeah. right field, then then he can't hit anything. I, I think you gotta, you know, it was disheartening to ride the roller coaster. I'm sure for Red Sox fans, but yeah, you have to swing at that pitch. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, uh, even Alex Cora, who's been a who's been a consistent uh, critic, uh, c- criticizer, critiquer, critic, well, critic. There you go. You're my thesaurus, or just my <laughs> English teacher. Yeah, yeah. Um, Constant critic of Alex Verdugo supported him in the postgame and said, yeah, that's a pitch he needs to be going after. Bad luck, but, um, you know, that's sometimes just the way it turns out. Uh, And it's always revisionist history with these things. It's like if he takes that pitch and then Holmes drops a fucking nasty, you know, sinker on the outside corner, then and then he's in an 0-2 holder. Why didn't you swing at the first pitch? It was right there. Come on. So you know how this works. Stop complaining. Um, Anyway, uh, yeah, let's play spoiler. That's what I want to do. I want to play some spoiler. I want to watch the Red Sox kind of keep descending into hell. Um, and I want us to finish the year strong because um, let's talk Rodon because he just performed on uh, on Sunday. Uh, some bad luck there. But I think overall, I don't think you're complaining with the, with the results of that outing. Six and two thirds, three earned. Like it's the deepest he's went into a game thus far. It's he was he was kind of dialed in for almost all of it um, gets ho- What was he? He got hosed on a strike three call. Yeah. Or, or got hosed on a strike three call. And then the ball hits the side of the base. He got, he had, he had to get out of the inning, the previous inning. Um, he had to get out of two innings, right? Because of a Volpe and a t- Glaber error. Yeah. Um, so it's the odds were stacked against him. And I think he responded really well, even though it was against the pirates. I couldn't believe they pushed him into the seventh, but then again, one out double gets the second out runner does not move up. Uh, 2 pitch like his 99th or 100th pitch of the game is a dirty curveball that definitely nicked the high inside corner. But y- you know the frame job wasn't incredible. It also went mm. from across the plate. It wasn't yeah, quite located. But like I get why the umpire didn't call it. But it was strike three. 
tries to rebound, gives up a hot shot down the third base. Not a dribbler that hit third base, but but a, a relatively hard hit grounder. Looks like it's going to go well foul. Somehow hits the bag, ticks into foul territory, and that's it. Also, luckily, the reliever cleaned up afterwards, so he didn't have to get a get. A, I thought he was going to get four runs tacked onto his ledger, and then he'd be like six and two-thirds, four runs, really. We love that. That would have been but terrible. In reality, six and two-thirds, 10 Ks. I was shocked yeah, they Ks. shocked they pushed him through. Uh, but no, I, I'm not gonna I can't deal with it's just the pirates because it was just the Tigers a week ago when he yeah. gave up eight hits and seven runs in three and a third innings and tangibly decided I gotta change my pitch mix around. I can't just go fastball curve. Like it's not just fastball slider here. I'm I'm gonna start using the curve, I'm gonna start using the off speed, and he uh Gave up some hard contact at Fenway. If you want to be dissatisfied with the four walks, you can be. I certainly was not happy. But five innings, one run, when that one run came on the first batter of the game, and he started the game inside fastball, beaten to the spot by Rafaela, home run over the monster, yeah. double to the next batter, runner on second, nobody out, already won nothing, gets out of the first, K's Adam Duval three times, K's Trevor Story a couple of times, uh, got the cable. I think he struck out nine at Fenway in five innings, which is why he was five and fly, and then struck out 10 yesterday in six and two thirds. Pushing him into the seventh was risky and bold, but you know what? It should, it would have paid off if the umpire had called the pitch properly and if a baseball hadn't hit third base. And still, they get out of there with just the three earned runs allowed. It's really hard to be upset by that. Miguel and Duhar putting a desperate oppo swing on one, a helicopter, yes. and going off the pole. Like and uh, a two-out ribby single early in the game in the third inning. That's that's all Rodon allows. Um, he is. I, I don't know what opening day looks like for him next year. I don't know what spring training looks like for him. I don't know how he manages this chronic back condition. I can't go on record and say, oh yeah, confident. And and when we do a happy podcast, we get just absolutely pile drop. So we're not going to do that. But he did tangibly change his pitch mix between awful start against the Tigers and really pretty good start at Fenway. And he further got comfortable using that mix into Pittsburgh and has sort of been the talk of the town the last couple of days. And he went uh, 99-99-100 to get an inning-ending K on Jackson Winsky in the sixth inning yesterday. Yeah, and awesome. I just I, I, I didn't know he had 99-100 in him. I hadn't seen that all year. I was looking at 92 in the early innings and 95-96, even sometimes yeah. 97 when he had to dial, up, dial it up. Effortless 99-100 was spectacular to see. The slider is still disgusting. Um, and Carlos Ferran is, you know, it's going to take a whole lot more bad baseball and injuries to declare him the worst free agent signing in this team's storied history of signing bad free agents. Two starts does not a career make, but I don't know if you told me the season obviously did not go the way that we all wanted it to. If you told me Rodon's going to struggle a little bit, but have his best start of the season at Fenway Park, I'd be like, nice. That's a cool. hellhole. That that seems like a pretty good start to his Yankee career. And uh, maybe we get a fresh start this offseason after all. Yeah, I mean, look, again, got to look for all the silver linings and positive developments here. Like him reaching 99 and 100 in the sixth inning, like that's huge. Uh, that's part of the whole struggle that he's had this year on and off with the injuries and the lack of consistency on the mound now that he's gotten how many – straight he's been he's been on the mound for now over a month he came off the il a little bit over a month ago so he's constantly been get this is the longest stretch of time where he's gotten um you know starts without being interrupted by injury and we're seeing the results he's changing up the pitch mix he's hitting velocities that we had never seen before later in the games he's attacking hitters in ways that we had not seen before um his sliders as as nasty as we could have imagined um and i understand that it sounds like maybe we're coddling a $162 million player, but like at the same time, there needs to be a conversation around the positive developments here because this is a guy who we knew coming in, dealt with injuries his entire career, and with that risk that you're taking, you're going to deal with consistency issues, and there is, there's going to be this ebb and flow. Unfortunately, the Yankees, you know, this is a risk that they took, that they knew what they were getting in bed with. The ceiling is as high as can be. I don't think that there are many other pitchers in the modern day right now at 100, absolute 100% that you would rather have in a game one or two playoff series than Carlos Rodon when he's fully right. I think we saw that last year when he was on the Giants. We saw that two years ago when he was on the White Sox, um, when they made the playoffs before whatever the hell happened to them. 
Um, this is one of the most passionate, you know, and uh, you know, fiery pitchers in the league. So we do have to take into account that this is a slow road and that hitting a hundred in the sixth inning against the pirates is a notable development or that him making a tweak in his delivery or his um, pitch mix is considerable because the, the fact of the matter is, is he missed 2023 was a wash. Once he went down with an injury, it was a wash guys. You knew he was missing at least the first two months. You knew he wasn't going to be the same after that. And at that point, it was just making sure that he was going to be okay for 2024. And that's the, traje- that's the trajectory it is right now. And that's why we at least have to have that silver lining of, hey, a couple more starts left this year. Really good signs of being able to show what he can do for the long haul in 2024. Let's ride with it. And let's give it some, you know, let's put some positivity behind it or else what are we doing? We're just complaining that still the $162 investment is not the $162 investment we made seven months ago. The season's done. Just just see what we can do and see on an individual level how these guys can further prepare themselves for what's to come and we'll be in a good spot. Um, and, you know, obviously that'll be in conjunction with whatever this team decides to do in the offseason. But this is what we have. And this is what we have to deal with it. And that's the road forward. Yeah, Yankee fans are still in a weird place. Like, they're acting ultra-aggressive. I don't think anyone is like, oh, wow, like, we're set up for 2024. This is going to be fantastic. Like, let's ride with the kids. Like, we're going to enter next year on a high note. We're going to enter next year a little more excited than we were in July 2023, but we're certainly not entering next season with a a finished product here in September. I tweeted that Oswaldo Cabrera looked electric when he homered at the end of the game on Saturday, and someone was was like, bomb." Someone was like, electric? He's only seven for his last 19. Let's slow the brakes. And I was like, first of all, welcome to Twitter. This was a tweet about a moment <laughs> in history that happened. So you saw it 15 hours later and we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, let's look at the sample size. No, this was about a home run he hit and it was cool. So if you're not going to react to it when I tweet it, don't react to it 15 hours later. And then to be like, he's only seven for 19 that's pretty good like it's a yeah it's a a tiny sample size but that's pretty good that's that's better than anything he's done this year i don't think oswaldo cabrera has cemented himself as a starter for next year but in his last 15 games 261 with a 382 obp and a little bit of that swagger is back dj lemayhu 898 august ops and a 740 ops in september with some really clutch hits clutch yesterday when the Yankees needed a spark clutch at fenway when they needed to break the tie late um, mm-hmm. again, not rolling into 2024 being like done cut, run it back. The Yankees figured it out in September, but they did give themselves a, a modicum of hope. Hey, if DJ LeMahieu isn't a well below average offensive player, the Yankees ceiling is higher. If the Yankees don't give up bats to Josh Donaldson. The Yankees ceiling is higher. If Anthony Rizzo can recover from being one of the worst offensive players in baseball this year, because he got his head lopped off, that gives you a reason to believe. And if he can't, then the Yankees are going to have to find a way to replicate his production. And I have faith that they will go out on the market and try to figure some things out because they told you they hate Esteban Floreal. They're not letting five hits and 24 at-bats and four ribs and four walks change that assessment. But it's still nice to see Esteban Floreal go out there and only go five for 24 so far. But they've been impactful hits. He's knocked in runs. He came through with a huge at-bat in the second game of the first doubleheader at Fenway when they needed to retie the game after the Rafael bomb. He had a big first-inning hit in, in uh, behind Luke Weaver the other day, future uh, Yankee Cy Young candidate Luke Weaver, uh, Cy Young finalist, as Sports Illustrated might say in a clickbait headline. So you're feeling a little bit better now than you were a couple of months ago for sure. You're, feeling, you're still feeling worse than you were when Jason Dominguez was active, healthy, and alive, but... They're the pieces that need to show you not nothing by the end of the season are showing you not nothing. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm especially intrigued um, with whatever Cabrera's role is going to be next year, because um, last year was so promising. You really thought he was going to be the utility player of the future and have, and be able to lengthen this lineup as one of the, one, you know, hitting in the seven, eight, nine hole or whatever. And obviously a switch hitter gives the Yankees a lefty bat. He's, better from the left side of the plate too. Um, So that helps, but um, yeah, this year has been especially discouraging, but again, that's been the case with everybody, even Aaron judge since coming off the IL, like take out that grand slam. He hit at Fenway stats are gross, dude. Stats are really bad. 
Yeah. And obviously that's probably part his injury. It's part of the lack of production around him. Um, so there are so many factors that go into this. Um, so I wonder how the Yankees are kind of going to view Cabrera's season and if he's actually a future piece. Um, you're right. I think we know the story with Floreal. As long as the guy is, I guess, getting reps and showing something at this point, it's at least nice to see. But he's not factored into the plans, or at least maybe he will be at the beginning of next year if he can show a little bit more over the next two weeks. They might bring him on. They might put him on the maybe. opening day roster and then let him go if Frankie <laughs> Cordero is available. So. <laughs> I just I wonder with I wonder with somebody like um I wonder with somebody like uh Cabrera though because there there's so much potential for him to be good and he's done it like now he's showing the flashes as to why that that was the reality at one point like I literally some days just randomly think about him homering during the ALDS in Cleveland that was one of the coolest things I had ever seen and I was so pumped watching that in person. And obviously that game came crashing down in just the most agonizing fashion. But like he has the big game ability in him. He has the defensive capabilities in him. And he just hit a weird, he caught Yankees disease this year, it would seem just like everybody yeah. else. So like he's the one I'm really zoned in on. I'm happy for D, like you said, like DJ playing well. Um, he had a couple of really concerning at bats in that pirate series, but then he made up for it with a bunch of hits. Like when he he's still rolling out, dribbling these balls in front of home plate, I'm just like, what is going on? But then he rips one down the line. He he rips one through the first base side, and it's like, okay, like it's there. He's just you know he's still still clearly working, maybe working through some things as as the season progresses. But um, yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at Cabrera. I'm hoping uh, he's a good vibes guy too. So like that got lost in translation with everything. So I'm hoping he can really use these last couple of weeks and and you know maybe define a role for himself next year because uh, that would be that would be a, another feel good end to this really really bad season. Absolutely, and since we can't do a positive podcast, Estevan, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Everson oh, Pereira uh, fell down the stairs at Fenway Park and is now hurt day to day with a leg injury. Because uh, Fenway Park is built by uh, you know. Uh, you know, 19th century mine workers. <laughs> Dodger <laughs> Stadium with the concrete slabs and now this. Yeah, you fell down a mine shaft. He's still in Fenway Park, actually. That's why you haven't seen him, because they oh can't find God. him. They're, they're looking for the parts. Like, he fell down 300 feet. They're looking for the leg. <laughs> um, but, yeah, best of luck to uh, Everson Pereira, who's going to factor into the mix next year, probably, or the trade market, and, uh, yes, fell down the stairs. So, very cool. Easy. Haven't seen him in a while. Another player who might be playing himself off of next year's roster before we sign off, Jonathan Lewisica. Uh hey. Aaron, I, I'm not sure I've I've heard uh, a statement like this from Positive Boone in, in quite a while. But after Loisica went down with an elbow injury, that apparently is nothing major, but just some stuff going on. Uh, and he's been put on the <laughs> IL, and, and he won't be playing for the rest of the season. So, I mean, there's no reason for him to rush back. I, I was surprised to even see Ian Hamilton come back. But he's done. He's done for the year. And Aaron Boone said, quote, every season has been interrupted. When he's going well, it's as good as yeah. there is because he's efficient. He's got great stuff. He can get both hands out. He could go one plus innings for you. You could fill any role, whether it's closing out a game or in the biggest spots. When he's going good, I don't know if there's much better in the league, frankly. But his seasons have been interrupted pretty much every year. Frustrating. Uh, and that's about a $3 million price tag on Loisiga next year. Boone did both the talk him up praise for the rest of baseball and the shots fired segment of that where he said uh never available at the beginning then listed off his good qualities and said yep never available at the end like the meat of the sandwich was great pitcher swing and miss stuff good cutter and the top and bottom the breads the rye was like he's never here we never see him so they don't have much of a bullpen next year especially if michael king is going to be in the rotation Uh, i love johnny brito in the bullpen i'm interested in randy vasquez in the bullpen they're not re-signing wandy Canley's here. Um, Clay Holmes is here if they don't trade him. I like Will Warren as a multi-inning relief option next year. The Yankees know how to build a bullpen, I think. Uh, Matt hmm. Crook has looked like he's been on crazy pills every time he's come into a game this year. He's supposed to be a, <laughs> supposed to be a factor and might be the worst major league pitcher in the history of baseball. So there's that. Um, but Loise is certainly not doing himself any favors in next year's roster mix. It's upsetting. Um, and I have been um, – not a critic of Loisiga. I have more so been a critic of the fans who have just anointed him something 
you know, as something which I don't think is legitimate because 2021 was his lone good season. Um, since the, he came into the league uh, with the Giants, he was signed as an international free agent. He got one professional season under his belt before missing the next two with injuries. They released him after the second year. Yankees picked him up. He's been either completely underwhelming or injured. And then you throw in a really good 2021 season where the entire rest of the team sucked. Um, And that was his only good to me sample size of consistency. You know, you have the 2020 playoffs where he nearly blew that game against the uh, guardians in Cleveland Um, coming out. Did he blow that? No, we swept that series, but like he came in and was giving up rockets. Uh, Finally was able to harness his stuff. Then injuries keep, keep uh, derailing his ability to stay on the field and be that upper echelon reliever Um, has the stuff in my opinion, I think in your opinion too, to be the team's next closer Uh, when he's on, honestly, I like him better than clay Holmes. Um, Unfortunately, those moments are few and far between. And I don't think we have a large clay Holmes at this point has lapped him in terms of being able to stay on the field and, performing in high leverage situations. So it is worth wondering he's making what 2.6 million this year. So that means he's going to be in the three millions for 2024. Yeah. The Yankees do have a really good bullpen right now. They do have a number of guys coming back next year. Scott F Ross is one Lou Trevino is another. So like, are they going to spend three plus million dollars on another? Again, this is an elbow injury on the same elbow that he just got surgery on. How many more risks like this are the Yankees going to take for his sake? I hope that it doesn't end poorly, but I don't know what you do. The Yankees have – to me, I'm just wondering when the Yankees are going to say enough is enough with these injuries and they like they have to begin cutting bait on some players who keep who keep like this narrative going for them, and Loisig is one of them. And I wish it wasn't that – I wish that wasn't the case. But again, one good season of work, a lot of inconsistency, a lot of injury – Aaron Boone's comments are weird. Could be the end. And everybody gets Tommy John at some point, and he hasn't had it yet. So I just feel like. He hasn't had it yet? Not as a big leaguer, right? I I don't think so. I don't know, but I just assume that he did. Because of the constant loose floating bodies in the elbow. Maybe he had (laughs) it. Oh, he uh, he did. In uh, in 2016, he uh, pitched one game with the Charleston River Dogs and then suffered injury, which required Tommy John surgery. So there you go. He's had his first Tommy John, but perhaps a, a second is on the horizon. Good good to know that the, the number one is is in the books. Or bad to know. But he, yeah, Lou Trevino, Scott Efros, great poll. The Yankees do have some bullpen arms coming back. Yeah. Maybe, in theory. It'd be nice to see Scott Efros again. Although Hayden Wesneski... No great shakes and lost the Cubbies in extra innings game against the Diamondbacks that could determine their postseason fate over the weekend. Uh, So all former Yankees, bad. All current Yankees, also bad. Uh, Updates to follow. That is it for this edition of the Yanks Go Yard podcast. Sponsor today is DraftKings. The promo code is YanksGoYard. Normal code. It's the name of the podcast. So if you've not yet signed up for DraftKings, remember... Please use that code if you're a new user. $150 in bonus bets coming your way instantly after creating an account, depositing, then wagering $5 or more on any sport. Whether your first wager wins or loses, still that $150 in bonus bets coming your way. Just use the code YanksGoYard at sign up. Customers who are 21 plus physically present, legal gambling states, gamble responsibly. Please check the episode description for the other full terms of the offer. You can find us again here live on Thursday afternoon, 2 o'clock Eastern. After the Yankees have got two under their belt against the Toronto Blue Jays, you can find... Thomas and I online on the platform formerly known as Twitter, uh, currently known as X, but nobody calls it that. And why would they? I'm on Twitter at Adam Weinrib. Thomas Carinante, where can the people find you? Folks, I'm at Tommy's underscore takes. We are at the official Yanks Go Yard Twitter account at Yanks Go Yard FS. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, we appreciate you guys hanging out with us, talking with us, enjoying the ride. Um, again, we're almost at the finish line and then the off season is going to be a really good time. So you better be here for all of those streams um, and all of our articles. Speaking of, head on over to yanksgoyard.com. The content is not stopping. Plenty of that uh, game coverage, looking ahead to the off season, talking about our rivals. We're doing it all. Trying to inform you guys and have some fun while we're doing it. So please uh, give us a read. Keep on coming to these podcasts. We're enjoying it very much. We will talk to you again on Thursday live 
2 p.m. Eastern right here. Enjoy the rest of your week, everybody. Thursday is the day. Goodbye, everybody. We'll see you here then. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now, but I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 455 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.